thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. Well, good morning to all of you, and uh, what a privilege it is to be with all of you here this morning and those of you online. Uh, and quite frankly, it's a privilege to be anywhere these days, uh, especially in California where you haven't opened up quite as quickly as you all have. And so this is the first time for me to have been back and, uh, and engage uh, in person uh, with uh, teaching and those opportunities. So grateful to be able to, to have my first time to be with all of you and particularly for this church. We are so grateful that you are a part of our covenanted order together and uh, you hosted our national gathering a few years ago and so we were thankful for that. Uh, Richard has been deeply involved in the theological work of the denomination and uh, was on a reopening panel a couple weeks ago as more and more of our churches are beginning this process. And so we are so grateful for all of you and uh, glad to be here today. I've been following a little bit of your series on the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And a few weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday, and you looked at that traditional text of Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit came upon the people. And what I want to do today is to go back a chapter earlier in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. When it talks about why the Spirit was coming upon His people. There's a variety of reasons for this, but one of those main reasons is to empower us to witness. And so I want you to hear the word of the Lord today coming in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about about that that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John was baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. So in the midst of this passage, the disciples have seen Jesus be crucified, resurrected, and he has now had some engagement with him. And the text tells us that they began to ask questions about what's next. Is this the time that you are going to restore your kingdom to Israel? It kind of reminds me about the questions that I'm hearing today from Christians. In the midst of COVID and racial tension and changing of our society, I've heard many people ask the question, could this be the end times? I think Jesus' response to us would be the same response that he had for the disciples. It is not for you to know 
the date that the Father has set by His own authority. But instead of pointing your attention over there, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to be witnesses to all you have seen and heard and experienced in your own life. Now we need to recognize that as Presbyterians, witnessing to the good news is not our normal strong suit. Uh, when I was in my uh, doctoral work, I was looking at medium and large church revitalization in Presbyterian contexts, and I was looking at a survey that was used quite frequently back then called Natural Church Development. And in this Natural Church Development, they looked at eight core aspects of what makes a healthy church. And the way they set it up is that any church would have actually a one in eight chance of having any particular uh, principle be their minimum factor. And uh, what I found out, however, is in take, looking at all the Presbyterian churches that had taken this survey, 40% had evangelism as their minimum factor. Three times the number than we would normally expect from this survey. R recognizing for us that this is not our strong suit. This is not our strength to be able to witness. I think sometimes we think it might be optional. But notice in this text that Jesus didn't say to his disciples, hey, I know you're busy. You're taking kids to soccer practice. You've got school. You've got work. You've got all these other things to do. If you have some time, would you might maybe consider being my witnesses? No, Jesus says, this is what you will do. This is in line with all the rest of the scriptures. When, when Jesus says in Matthew, go make disciples of all nations. That's the, the command to us. Not if you have time, if you are willing. The command is this is what you are called to be and to do. And a lot of times for our churches... We will invest in the mission that God has given us until we have some level of, of instability within the institution. So I, the first church that I pastored, I was 25 and the average age was 75. Um, and when I got to the church, the fellowship hall carpet was atrocious. I mean, I'm surprised that like public health didn't come in and condemn the building. The, the carpet was that bad. But we were a small church. We didn't have a lot of money. And so finally, after six months, we had raised the $2,500 or whatever it was to, to refurbish the carpet at that point. We got it all brand new in there. And one nice, sweet lady came to me and said, Pastor Dana, now that we recarpeted the fellowship hall, we probably shouldn't eat in there. You getting the irony there? I said, you're right. We should definitely not fellowship in the fellowship hall. And I understood her desire to keep it nice, to keep it neat, but, but sometimes our facilities can become the ends in themselves rather than facilitating mission. And I love your mission of the church to equip people for, for radical gospel relationships to transform the heart of the city. I, I pray that you pursue that with passion, but I also know that there will be times where you will have to make some choices between institution and mission. And I pray that you always choose mission. So Jesus says to the disciples, here's where you're to witness. 
Now, a lot of times churches will take this passage and the uh, extrapolation that they will make is that they will look at their church and look at concentric circles from there. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, they might say for a church like Greenville, uh, Greenville, South Carolina, the United States, and the world. And I certainly think that is an appropriate use of this text. But I also think that Jesus is telling the disciples that here is the four types of people for whom you need to share the good news. And I think they're the four types of people that we also need to share the good news regardless of their geographical proximity. And so the first he says is, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now my guess is that some of you probably have been to Jerusalem. I think you've done some trips to the Holy Land, right? Through, through the church. And, uh, and it's a great place. And it's a very religious city. The Orthodox Jews who live there travel in groups of 10. If you stay in a hotel on the Sabbath, it usually stops at every floor so you don't have to do any work of pushing any particular buttons and so forth. Uh, Lots of dietary laws and all these things are, are put in place for good reason. However, God throughout the Old Testament warned the Jewish people that sometimes... They got so caught up in the religion, so caught up in the do's and don'ts, that they missed the relationship. They missed the relationship with the great love of the, of the Father. And so God always calls them back to say, don't just look at the do's and don'ts, but look at the God who gives life through those. And so I don't know about you, but I know for me that sometimes I can get so caught up in doing for God or just plain doing that I forget about being with God. I can become a human doing rather than a human being. That sometimes my temptation is to take my identity from my achievements, my pats on the back, the good things that come my, my way, that I can take my identity from that rather than taking my identity from the God who came and dwelled among us and gave his life on my behalf and adopted me as a beloved son. And so I need the gospel to be witness to me. You need the gospel to be witness to you. See, sometimes when we think of witnessing, we just think about witnessing to those outside of the church. And yes, we will get there. But we also need to share the good news with those inside the church. To continually remind ourselves of the great love that God has for us in Jesus Christ. For our, our new identity as adopted sons and daughters of the King. And so whom within the body might you need to share this deep love? Well, Jesus then tells them that they are to witness in Judea. Now, this is going to be a a gross stereotype, but I don't think there's a ton of Judeans here will be offended at this. But the Judeans were a little bit known for their nominal faith. So the real Jews, they lived in Jerusalem. But the Judeans, they lived in other parts of, of Israel. And what they often, their lives would often be characterized that, that their identity in their faith was a part of who they were, but it wasn't central to who they were. And I think that this is a challenge for us as well. That sometimes we can have 
what is been termed nominal Christianity. Eddie Gibbs, who's a professor at Fuller, wrote a book called In Name Only, The Challenge of Evangelizing Nominal Christians. And here was his definition of nominal Christians. It could be anything from people who show up to worship, who go through the motions, but don't have really put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, yet go through the motions. Maybe those who who come occasionally, or maybe just those who would check on a survey or on a census that they're Christian, but it doesn't really impact their life. And my brother would be a, a good example of the latter one of these. If you asked my brother if he was a Christian, he would say, absolutely, without a, a moment of hesitation. He would say, oh, great, well, with whom do you worship? Oh, nobody. With whom do you study God's word? Nobody. Oh, do you use some of your time and your energy and your money to be able to advance the kingdom of God? No. Is your life, do you seek to put your life in conformity with the will and desire of God revealed in his word? Say no. But you call yourself a Christian, why? Well, because I believe the facts that Jesus died 2,000 years ago and rose again. Well, that's great that you believe those facts, but, but I am trying to get him to transfer the trust of his life over to Jesus. And see, here's the problem with even calling this nominal Christianity is that it almost validates it as a legitimate form of Christianity. You know, like Christianity light, the same benefits of Christianity without all the hard stuff, right? No. And so see, we need to witness to that. I think especially in the South. I've heard someone say, you know, I, I know I'm a Christian because my grandma made cookies for v- VBS. Okay. But in the South, right, there, there can be, and I used to live in, in, in the South, that there, sometimes there was this idea that, well, I was born into a Christian family or I was baptized, but I have not made it my own. And so we need to witness people to people to help them to do that. The next is Samaria. Now, scholars will sometimes debate whether Judea and Samaria should be lumped in the same category or not because Samaria is actually inside of Judea. But I think Jesus breaks the two apart because the people who live in Samaria are very different than the rest of Judea. Because the people that lived in Samaria, the Samaritans, what their history was is that they started out Jewish, but they would pick and choose the parts of the Bible that they liked and disregard the things that they don't like. Now the good news is nobody does that today. (laughs) Just kidding, right? We all do that. We make our own faith. And believe me, nobody loves a buffet more than I do. But we can't approach faith that way. We can't say, I'm going to take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, oh, but I don't really like beets. You know, I'm going to get draw from all these other places. And, I, and what ends up happening is we make God out of our image and our desire. And so people all the time will twist and contort the true faith. And Jesus says, I want you to witness to that. In the midst of our society that is changing so rapidly, that the, the opinions that we call this our postmodern culture that is very much, well, whatever you believe is fine with you and what I believe is fine with me and let's all get along. Absolutely, we should all get along. However, we need to witness to the truth of the gospel. We need to witness to the truth of who Jesus is and remind people that when we receive him, 
We don't pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. But he and his word becomes the authority over us. And then in the final place, Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, some of the people might have actually been surprised at this. Because very on, early in the movement of Christianity, a lot of individuals thought this was a movement just within Judaism. And so they wouldn't think we would go beyond that. Now, they should recognize that certainly throughout the, the scriptures, Jesus has, uh, or God has told the people, you're going to be a light to the nations. Uh, you're going to be blessed to be a great nation so that you will bless others. And so they should recognize that's always been the desire of God. But here he's saying, reminding people that this isn't just for your type of people. That this is to go to the ends of the earth. Now, one of the things I love about this church is your emphasis and your importance on global mission. The way in which you invest in people and organizations that are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that is a wonderful thing that we want to continue to do and to spur on. And we want to recognize that the ends of the earth are also right here. We live in a global society. The very fact that we are live streaming is reminding us that, that people from all over the world could be watching this or could have access to the good news. We live in a world where, where many people have moved here from other parts and have no idea or background about what Christianity is and what the message of Jesus Christ offers. And we get the privilege of partnering with God through the Holy Spirit, to tell them about the great news of Jesus Christ. And I love when you, uh, groups that you're engaged with, that we're engaged with denominationally, that, that for example, share to Muslims. That Muslims who, who could have never I, idealized or thought of a, a God as Father who cares for them deeply, they come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and weep about the amazing love that God has to offer us. And we get to participate in that. And there are people in your neighborhood or at school or at grocery store or at work or wherever it might be who really have that mindset from the ends of the earth. They, they don't know. They have not heard the good news of Jesus. And he has put you in their lives to witness to him. And so what I want to do is close us in prayer. And as we pray, I want you to think about who God has placed in your life. And maybe it's in one of these kind of four categories. That you need to encourage a believer to take their identity in Jesus. That you need to uh, share with, with those who would just, you know, mark that they're a Christian on a survey. Maybe your kids, but they're not really haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe there's people that are saying, oh, I'm just going to pick and choose. Or maybe there's people who've never actually been exposed to the true good news of Jesus Christ. There's people in your life for whom the Spirit is empowering you to witness. So I want to pray for you and have us pray for those people that God has put in your life. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that awakens us 
to your truth that awakens us to the good news of Jesus Christ, that convicts us of sin, that molds us, that shapes us, that develops within us the fruit of the Spirit, and that also empowers us to reflect your truth, your love, and your goodness to the world around us. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every person, both here in this room and online, that as we pray, that you would put people on their minds, that you have called them to share in word and in deed your good news. Lord, hear our prayers and stir our hearts. Lord, may we take hold of that call to be your witness. Not through our power and strength, but through the power you give us through your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.